welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we have the honor to have as a guest, Billy O'Connor. He's the VP of Internal Audit at Morgan Stanley. Welcome, Billy, to the podcast. It's hard to have you on. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about innovation in internal audit. And I think that you have some really good nuggets here, some really good tips to the community. So before we get into the details, just tell us a little bit more about your role at Morgan Stanley in innovating the internal audit department there. Yeah, sure. So my background is actually in IT auditing. I've been doing that for about 15 years. I've been at E-Trade for a while, focusing on cybersecurity and IT auditing. Then about three years ago, E-Trade got acquired by Morgan Stanley. So obviously with the acquisition, the, the integration of the audit teams, there were a lot of different opportunities that came about. One of them was around innovation. So the Morgan Stanley audit team was already doing a lot of really cool things, a lot of innovation. They had a very strong DA department. But there's a desire from the senior management to be more uh, deliberate with our innovation approach and the way we approach innovation projects and opportunities. So that's where I got tapped to uh, basically stand up from scratch this idea of an innovation hub for the department. It was really cool. Uh, we had a lot of freedom in how we, where we wanted to take it. Uh, it was also a bit of a challenge because, you know, we had a lot of freedom, but also nothing to go also. There's no framework. So we're all kind of flying, flying, blind for a little bit there. Uh, you know, even just determining, you know, what was the definition of innovation? What did that mean for audit? That was a big discussion topic. So now we've been doing this for about two years now, and we've learned a lot in those two years. And the way we've kind of centered the, the program around is really three pillars for innovation for audit. And what that means for us is the first one is scaling innovative techniques and technologies. So obviously, you know, chat GPT, technologies, automation, RPA, those are all innovative things. But we really want to stress and, and make this program accessible to everybody in the department is that it's not just technology. You don't have to be a, a technical person to contribute to innovation. We're just as interested in new techniques, new, new methods for testing. That's where scenario-based testing comes up. Uh, things like design thinking, process optimization. There's a whole bunch of pain points unrelated to technology that we want to hear about and that we focus on as well. The second part is uh, really fostering a culture of bottoms-up inclusive innovation. So inclusive, you know, we, we fully believe that diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds is a huge strength for us, that the Morgan Stanley Audit Department is about 600 people across the globe, a whole lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ideas that they can bring to the table. So we really want to champion that. The other part of that is we really focus on bottoms up innovation. I've been an auditor for long enough. Anybody that's been an auditor for more than a few weeks have probably been in the, the situation where senior management has a great idea and that they want everybody to start doing something a certain way. And, you know, at the end of the day, people just want to get their jobs done. They don't want to learn a new thing. They don't want to be, to look innovative for the sake of innovation. So we really want the ideas to come from the folks on the front line. So that's where we really focus on the bottoms up approach. And then the third part of the, the program is really collaboration. And part of the reason why I got connected with you at EGI this, this podcast is because I'm doing all kinds of research. I want to see what's going on, going on out in the field. 
uh, what ideas are being thrown out there. So we collaborate within the department, within the firm, but also outside the firm. Beautiful, beautiful. So really good takeaways there for the community. Number one, scaling technologies. Number two, fostering innovation, bottoms up approach. Love that. Number three, collaboration. You know, we can learn so much, not only from within your organization, from your peers, but also from your peers within the same industry, from your peers within the same profession, and just from other people, even outside of the profession as well. So really, really good uh, tips there for the community. I want to go back to one of the points that you had there during your, uh, you know, what you're discussing about scaling technologies. So, and we discussed this before the, the episode. So scenario-based testing, can you explain to the community what that means? And as you explained that, you know, maybe if you have a couple of success stories there to share, that would be great as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I know uh, when you hear the term scenario-based testing, uh, it's getting more, more airtime, uh, more research I'm doing. I hear people talking about it more. So what that means for you and your department may be different than the way we're defining it. But for us, for scenario-based testing, the way we approach it is when you compare it to traditional testing, the very basic kind of example of a traditional audit approach would be, you know, you, you, you have a control, you look for a sample of dates or transactions, you go and ask auditee, show me evidence that the control was operating effectively for, the, for this sample. It's way more complicated in practice, but pretty, pretty, you know, basic example there of traditional testing. What scenario-based testing does is kind of flips that. And so instead of asking for evidence that a control is working effectively, you're proactively looking to prove and gain evidence that the control is not working effectively. So kind of the best way to illustrate that is one of the ways we've used scenario-based testing is in our data loss prevention testing. So obviously I work for a financial firm. We have a lot of sensitive information. We put a ton of money and effort into protecting that information and building out data loss prevention or DLP controls to make sure that data is not going outside the door you know, inappropriately. So traditionally what we would do is look at configurations for the DLP controls to make sure that they're looking for the right things. Uh, PII, personally identifiable information, documents marked as confidential or sensitive. Uh, and we look to make sure that the DLP system is set up on all the different channels that information could go out the door. So obviously over the, over the web, email, uh, looking at printers, do we have the right monitoring from a DLP or people printing things out and walking out the door with sensitive information. So that's an approach that we've done a number of years. Uh, it's a very mature part of our control environment. So if we keep doing the same types of tests, we're really not going to get any value. We're just going to be wasting everybody's time. So this is that when we started applying scenario-based testing around our DLP controls, that's where we start to get really creative. And one thing we always stress is that scenario-based testing isn't something you have to be a pen tester to do. You don't have to be technical. You can be an IT auditor. You could be a business auditor. You can apply this technique. It doesn't really matter. And you just need some experience today, getting some iterations going through this. So... For DLP, what we've done is we've looked at the email channel. So very easy for somebody to email a whole customer list of PII to their Gmail, their personal email. So obviously we don't want that. We know we're a mature company. We have controls in place. You, you can't just do that. So if you put PII in the body of an email, it's going to get caught. But what happens if you put it in an attachment and then password protect that? 
Is your DLP control set up to identify that and block it? Or if you can't open the file, you know, it doesn't do some other type of escalation. But then you can get real creative by embedding documents within password protected attachments. You can, instead of sending an email, like you said, a meeting invite and put the PII in the subject line or the, the, the location line. So, you know, we have assumptions sometimes that DLP will scan everything. But once you get in there and you start playing with the different variables, you find pretty quickly that DLP isn't set up to monitor every single field and every single type of communication that you could put out there. So uh, what we find pretty quickly when you start using scenario-based testing uh, on DLPs is that there's a lot of assumptions built in on what you think DLPs monitoring, which channels, which fields. Um, so there's a lot you can do with email. There's a lot you can do with uh, over the internet. So anybody can go to Wix or any of these websites and create their own website with upload functionality. So are, is your proxy set up and your DLP set up to detect when somebody goes to a, a website where you can upload files? Are those files being scanned? And again, what, what do you do? What happens if you password protect the file or you embed a file within another file? So there's a whole bunch of variables that you can start to play around with and really start to stress and challenge the, the, your control environment, environment proactively and identify those exploitable gaps before, you know, they get exploited in the wild. Yes. Just brilliant. I think it's uh, you're finding a way to break the system, right? That's instead of like, prove me that the system is not broken. I'll tell you that the system is broken and we need to fix this. Yeah. So I, I think the, it's just, yeah, pure, pure brilliant. Super easy when you actually demonstrate how the control is broken and you can't really argue it at that point. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you this, Billy. I already t stole that idea and shared it with my team. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure other people will be stealing this idea here. So, and if you guys, you know, if anyone here in the community who's listening to the to this episode, if you do use the idea, I'll be very happy to hear about it, and I'm sure Billy would as well. So, last question here for you, Billy, and this is related to the first question as well. You mentioned something about design thinking. You know, same, same question as scenario-based testing. What is design thinking? And you know, maybe if you have some success stories to share, that would be great. Yeah, definitely. So design thinking isn't anything that ever developed out of the audit world. It's something completely different from the design world. Um, so it's, it's a technique that we were identified as we were starting this innovation journey. We were looking, again, outside the firm. We were looking to collaborate with other folks with ideas. We came across this design thinking approach and design thinking is really a formal methodology for putting the end user at the center of decision-making and innovation. So again, we, we don't want to be creating cool things that nobody's going to use or it makes people's jobs more difficult. We want to be solving problems and producing solutions that the end users, the auditors on the front line are actually going to use and benefit from. So it, it's, again, it's a very formal process for empathizing with the end users, understanding what their pain points are, what are their needs, and then taking a minute to really define the problem. So after listening to folks and having one-on-one -on -one interviews, you may realize the problem you're trying to solve wasn't what you originally thought it was. Once you have that, you, again, uh, good frame of reference there, you go into guided ideation. So it's not just simple brainstorming, people sitting around a table, throwing out ideas. There's a lot of facil facilitated exercises within the methodology to really get people looking at the problem from a lot of different lenses to very quickly get a whole lot of ideas that you can start to 
build upon or you can start to group and you can maybe a light bulb start to go off in other people's head once they hear something that's been sitting in somebody else's uh, head for a while. So it's really cool. And then from there you go into rapid prototyping. The goal here isn't to come up with the, the gold standard right away. We want to get feedback as quickly as possible. Again, we want to make sure whatever's being built, whether it's a new process or a new tool, it's actually going to fulfill the needs of the end users. So the best way to do that is to build prototypes, minimum viable projects, um, products, and have people use them and give you feedback. And then you iterate through the design process again. It's a, it's a, a, form, a framework that we used twice last year. So we ran two uh, design thinking engagements. The first one is around our audit work paper software. I'm not going to mention any names. I know everybody hates their audit work paper software and the grass is always greener, but in reality, it's, it's not. Um, so if you, at, at that time, you could have gone to anybody in the department and they could have rattled off a list of pain points with the software. But it was all anecdotal. It was all kind of, you know, water cooler talk. Nobody could really articulate what was truly the biggest pain point. What were the things that were having the biggest impact negatively? And nobody could articulate if the, the pain points were specific to regions within the world or teams or levels or, you know, expertise. Nobody really had any of those data points. So we sat down, we, we, we decided design thinking would be a great idea to apply to this area. So we first mapped out all the different stakeholders. We wanted to make sure we interview people that was representative of the department. So making sure you get people from all the regions, the different teams, the roles, the levels and tenure. You have one-on-one -on -one meetings and that's, you know, it's kind of like an auditor when you sit down to do a walkthrough with your auditee. You want them to open up. You want them to tell you everything that they're afraid to tell other people. And really having a one-on-one, -on -one, you hear a lot of really interesting things that people are afraid to say in a larger group and you collect everything anonymously. So that helps with them to be open and honest. And we, we actually, for some of the really good quotes, the ones that really are headlines, we, we capture those and we put those in the final presentation deck. And that's what really, when you present that to senior management, that's where you got kind of seeing them kind of sit back and their eyes open up like, wow, people are really saying these things. So we went through all that. We identified what were the true pain points and what we really needed to focus on. Instead of trying to solve 20 different things, we realized there was really three core things that if we address these three things, our, our, our user experience is going to improve, you know, 80%. So that really got us down a, a very structured and tailored kind of ideation and solutioning for solving those three core problems. We also just ran one that just wrapped up the beginning of this year around the auto reporting process. So very similar, uh, getting the report out the door was super painful. It takes way longer than we expect it to be. I know you, you had an episode around uh, with Sarah and Sarah James and the one page job report, you know, that, that is something we're exploring. Uh, but from a process perspective, there was, it was just very clunky. It wasn't efficient. So again, people could rattle off all the pain points they had, but nobody could articulate what were the things we should actually focus on. So we went through that, had some interesting interviews. Um, and right now we've got a number of initiatives teed up based off of the outputs from that design and picking engagement. So now we know we're very tailored, very focused on where we want to spend our time and effort. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Love what you, what you said there. It's, you have the end user in mind first. It's like customer centric in a way, and it's not just, you know, one story from here, one story from there, you, you try to put it all together and come up with themes, right. And 
Right. These are truly the issues versus, you know, just the one-off. So really appreciate you being on the podcast, Billy, for those who, you know, you're creating a community in the process of creating an innovation community here. Uh, what is the best way for them to reach out to you and learn about this community that you're in the process of creating? Yeah. If you liked anything you heard or if you have ideas, you just want to talk through some of them, uh, best way to get in contact is on LinkedIn. Uh, message me and we can uh, set up the best way to communicate from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Billy. Thank you.